Well, good morning. It's been a great uh, morning. We've, we've heard some things uh, already about uh, how great our God is, the songs that we've seen, uh, sung, uh, the word that we heard. Uh, I am going to just tell you this morning, I've got a lot of scripture, and so we're going to be, uh, we're going to be in the word of God, uh, uh, and so it'll be on the screen. I know I'll be going quickly through it. Uh, you might want to just, if you have a pen so that you can write things down, I am uh, just letting you know, we're going to touch on quite a few passages this morning, but uh, in particular, and our a place that we're going to stem from all of it is Joshua chapter 20. We're going to read that whole chapter, so you might want to get your finger in there right now. I begin with uh, Psalm 46, uh, Psalm 46, the opening of Psalm 46, which sort of sets the stage for today, says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So this psalm says God is our refuge. And what is refuge? Refuge is a shelter or a protection uh, in a time of distress, a time of need. It's a safe place when you truly need a safe place, a place to find recourse in, in times of trouble, as the word says. So have you ever needed a refuge? Perhaps you've needed a refuge from a giant. Maybe that's the case, something huge, some kind of storm in your life, and you needed refuge. I remember a time, a good number of years ago it was, my children were little, while we were at home, it was a beautiful summer afternoon, and a storm blew in. One of those summer August storms that just seemed to come out of nowhere, and we heard the blare of the tornado siren, and so Julie and I took our, our children into the basement. We went into the basement, our place of refuge, because a big storm was coming. And while we were down there, the kids said, where's the dog? Ah, so the girls were crying for the dog, and the dog was not in the place of refuge. So I ran upstairs to get the dog. And I heard the wind howling, and as I took hold of that dog and I stood up and looked out the, the back window, I, there was a, there's a, was a beautiful maple tree in our yard. It was, uh, we have a ton of trees, but that was my favorite tree. It, it was straight and tall and a good hardwood maple. And as I'm looking out the window, I watched it begin to twist. And it twisted till it about, I'll say, 15 to 18 feet up the trunk. It just snapped from the force of the wind twisting it. And I'll tell you what, I did not stay around to see which way that tree fell, if it kept spinning or not. I was with my dog in the refuge with my kids and my family. I went to my place of refuge yeah, I was reading some stories uh, the past week or so about the tragic fires in Maui. And there's a number that are like this. One young lady was fleeing the fire in the city. The road was blocked. The one road out of town was blocked. She had to abandon her car. She left her car and uh, she hooked up with uh, another two people. As the fire began to sweep, uh, sweep across the town, she leapt over a wall with these two others that were with her into the waters of the ocean. And that's where she found refuge 
and shelter from the hot fire. And she found dozens and dozens of other people that had done the same thing, to be safe from this giant fire. She sought refuge in that place, and that was her place of safety. The, the writer of uh, Psalm 46 says, that place of safety uh, for our hearts is, is God. God is our refuge uh, for us. And we know God in the person of Jesus Christ. He's our refuge. Do you know Jesus as your refuge? We heard just a few minutes ago, do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your refuge? Jesus uh, is your place of shelter and safety from any giant, from any storm, from any trouble, uh, for now to eternity. And do you know him as your refuge? This morning I want to uh, share with you six ways that Jesus is your refuge found in the Old Testament. Uh, We will be in that... uh, Joshua chapter 20, but that begins in Numbers 35. Numbers 35, Moses, the leader of the Israelites, he received kind of a blueprint from God about what he was supposed to do when he went into the land promised by God. God said, set things up like I tell you, and God told him to set cities up a particular way. And in Joshua chapter 20, after the people had now entered into the land promised by God, Joshua implements God's blueprint. So this is uh, what we're going to read. Joshua 20. It's just nine verses. Uh, Let's read it. Joshua 20 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own hometown from which they fled. So they set apart Kedesh in in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan... On the other side from Jericho, which is exactly like God designated it, Numbers 35, he said three cities on each side, and this is what Joshua did. So east of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigners residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Now, this passage speaks to Jesus, just like the whole Bible speaks to Jesus. And how does it do that? We'll talk about it. By establishing these cities of refuge, a place where one was accused could come, God was setting in motion Uh, for what ultimately became due process of law. Our present legal system finds its roots in this kind of biblical teaching. 
that declares a person's innocent until they're guilty, until they're proven guilty, until everything had been investigated by the elders and justice was handed down through a, a, a hearing in front of the whole congregation. The accused who ran to that city of refuge, they enjoyed a presumed innocence. They were safe. And in these six ancient cities, the, the places that were called cities of refuge, Kedesh, Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan, there's application for us. There's application for us in Jesus. Because each of these cities was a shadow of Jesus to come. Each is a, a shadow of the refuge that we find in Jesus. Let's talk about them. The first city, the first one uh, is Kedesh. Kedesh is Hebrew for sanctuary. It's a holy place. In a word, salvation. The, the criminal was to run to the city and there find salvation and be safe. The, the party that had been accused, we, we are all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. And Psalm 51 says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And the New Testament confirms that. It confirms that we are sinners. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the apostle also wrote to the city in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and he said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Ephesians 2.1. But the sanctuary is open. The place of salvation is open to any who are guilty, any who are in sin. Jesus made a way to the very presence of God. Before Jesus, only the high priest could enter the holiest place of the temple, which was only accessible by passing through a very heavy curtain. The high priest went behind that curtain to make atonement for the people's sin. He offered sacrifices for the people's sin. But that curtain in the temple was eliminated by Jesus. That curtain in the temple was torn in two, literally from top to bottom, when Jesus was on the cross and gave up his spirit. The sacrifice of his life opened the way into the most holy place, into the place of salvation. Reconciliation no longer requires an earthly high priest offering sacrifice. It's telling that in Joshua 20, it says, you stay there till the high priest dies. Our high priest has died. He's given his life and he's opened up the way to salvation. There's complete salvation in Jesus, our high priest. Salvation from the penalty of sin. That's a giant. Sin is a giant. In Jesus, there's complete sanctuary because of the sacrifice uh, that he made. And all can enter by faith into the most holy place, the presence of Almighty God, where the guilt of sin is not held against them. So come to know Jesus. Come to know Jesus as Kadesh. 
Know him as the one who suffered and he saves you from your sin. And he offers reconciliation uh, to God in that place of refuge. Know Jesus as Kedesh, your salvation. Now the, the second image, the second image is the city Shechem. Shechem is the second city of refuge and in Hebrew it means back or shoulder. Jesus shared this parable and it's recorded in Luke chapter 15. He said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. You were once lost. We all were once lost, but we were found by Jesus, the good shepherd. And he joyfully puts the lost on his shoulders and he lifts them from the pit of sin. And then he rejoices. His shoulders are this place of refuge. And Jesus not only lifts you, you who were lost, but he carries He carries on his back your every burden. Isaiah chapter 53 gives us a great image of this. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This scripture speaks to the burdens of sin on the back of Jesus and how we were lost sheep. Jesus carried, he bore our iniquity and sin on the cross. He was punished for what we did. John's gospel tells us that Jesus carried his own cross. It says in John 19, 70, and he carried his own cross. The cross was laid on his back. He carried that cross for you and for me. He carried it up the hill called Calvary where they laid him down and they nailed him to that very cross. And there he bore our punishment. We all like sheep have gone astray, but Jesus has lifted us on his shoulders and and he received our punishment. Yet yet so many refuse. They refuse to go to Jesus. They, They refuse to say, I will give you my guilt, Jesus. You paid for it. And instead they carry it. So many carry their own their, their own baggage and their own guilt. Does it do you any good to insist that Jesus has no bearing on your life? That he's of ill effect? No, it doesn't. If you come to him, he'll not only uh, bear the weight of your sin and the penalty, but he'll carry every burden on his shoulders too. The word of God says, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. So get to know Jesus as Shechem. Get to know Jesus as Shechem because on his back and his shoulders, he carried your sin and he'll take on all of your troubles, all the troubles of life. You can cast them on him. Know Jesus as Shechem, the bearer of your burdens. 
The third image of Jesus is to know him as Hebron. Hebron in the Hebrew, it connotes association or colleague or friend, even uniting in friendship. Now, this is a great thing. It's an amazing thing to know the friendship of Jesus. He said in his farewell discourse the night that he was going to be arrested, when he was talking to his closest companions, John chapter 15, Jesus said this, verses 12 to 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So to know Jesus and his friendship is, as he said, his words, to keep his commandments. So get to know them. Get to know the words of Jesus, but not just to know them, but to live them and to obey them. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find over two dozen commands of Jesus. But Jesus summed them all up. He summed them all up this way in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. He said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's the greatest. And he said, there's a second one. The second is, this, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no commands greater than these. So it boils down to those two, loving God and others. And apply that and the love of Jesus will be revealed to your heart. And, and the commandments of Jesus will not be drudgery. There'll not be rules that you seem like, oh, they're so difficult. There'll be joy. And to Jesus, you'll find a friend. So get to know Jesus as Hebron. Jesus, your friend. The fourth image in these cities is Bezer. Bezer is Hebrew for fortress. And more precisely, a remote fortress. One that might seem distant. It might even seem unattainable. Because maybe there's a giant in your way. There's something that's in your path but Jesus has paved a way to this refuge, to this fortress. And when you come to your fortress, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your fortress, you'll find it's he. It's he who faces your confrontations. It's he who faces your giants. It's, it's he who takes on your battles. And it's he who can calm the storms. And he makes you continuously victorious over sin. You know, when you have a tornado or, or, or a flood or a fire or something else that causes you to fear or it threatens, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus to, to set you behind the bulwark that is the fortress of him. Jesus is your impenetrable wall. David the great King David, the one who began as a child slaying this great giant, he gives us an image of that fortress in the opening verses of Psalm 18. 
In Psalm 18, David said, I love you, Lord, my strength. And just hear how he describes this, this, this strength. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from mine enemies. Sounds like what we were singing earlier. And you can sing that and you can sing it uh, with sincerity when you know Christ as Bezer because Christ as Bezer is to, to be hid in him from the power of sin, the temptation of the enemy and the struggles with sin, which is, which is the great giant, the biggest giant, the struggle with sin remains a reality for the Christian. It's true. We all can, can struggle with temptation and, and even sin, and the Apostle Paul wrote of his struggles in Romans chapter 7, but his testimony is a reminder that we are victorious in our refuge, Jesus. Our fortress, Jesus. He wrote in Romans 8, 1 and 2, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You don't need to remain discouraged if you fall into temptation and you stumble into sin. But turn to Jesus. And don't agonize over your sin, but confess it to Jesus. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you run to him, run to Jesus. When you have those temptations or those times where you miss the mark, you run to Jesus your fortress and your strength and your refuge. Get to know him as Bezer, your fortress against every giant, your fortress against the giant of sin. The fifth image is Ramoth. Ramoth in the Hebrew means high places or heights. In, in his epistle to the Ephesians, Paul uh, wrote, about the heights, and he called them heavenly realms. And I share that with you, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God raised us up to the heights. The apostle tells us that all the true believers are seated with Christ in the heights of heaven, in the heavenly realms, even while we are down here on earth. It's something to wrap your mind about. Ramoth is not the same as heaven, but it's like heaven on earth. When a soul knows Jesus as Ramoth, it's lifted up by faith above the doubts, above the fears, above the uncertainties, above every danger, above every threat, above every storm, above every fire and every flood, above the drama of life. Uh, you are raised up when your soul abides in the heights of Jesus, your Ramoth, your, your Ramoth refuge. When we're seated with Jesus, uh, we are seated there above the devil who's called the prince in the power of the air. 
Satan's called the accuser of the brethren in the book of Revelation. But let me ask you this question. What accusation can he bring against you if you're seated with Christ? None. None. He can bring no accusation against you when you're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. So get to know Jesus as a ramoth, the heights above sin, the heights above Satan. Get to know him. And the final, the final image of Jesus for refuge is Golan. Now, there's a, there's a difference in opinion about what Golan means. It could mean their captivity. It could mean their rejoicing. And it, it seems incongruent. It seems a paradox. How could a word uh, be associated with such divergent meanings? And they seem, at, they, they seem at odds. They seem opposite. Yet with Jesus, with Jesus, the paradox is not all that unusual. Jesus is recorded in Matthew chapter 10 saying this. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Lose your life and find it doesn't seem to make sense. We must die to live. We got to give up our life to gain it. We must be born again. It all seems totally incongruent. But when we die to self and surrender to Jesus, he bestows on us eternal life. So with Jesus, that incongruity becomes completely congruent. And that's the way it is with Jesus, the golden of refuge, our rejoicing, our captivity. In Jesus, we are truly rejoicing captives. Once we were dead in trespasses and sin, we've read several scriptures that have said, you were dead, you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in sin. We were slaves to sin, captives of Satan. But now we live and we belong to Christ. We were dead in sin, slaves to it. Now we're alive and we belong to Christ. Now that image of slavery, it's a brutal, brutal image. It, it depicts being owned by another where there's no rejoicing, only mourning. And the Apostle Paul employed this, this heinous image of slavery and he wrote, you are a slave. You're a slave to what you obey. This is how he defined it. You're a slave to what you obey. So you're a slave to sin because you obey sin. But Jesus offers freedom from the slavery of sin. He offers freedom from the slavery that brings death. Jesus offers liberation from sin and eternal life. And now, if you don't think you got something to rejoice about, there is something truly to rejoice about. The apostle wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. He could write that because he could rejoice in the Lord who had freed him from sin and death, and we can too. Yeah, with that freedom, with the freedom that comes through Christ, there's another paradox. Paul, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you're not your own you were bought with a price. So freedom comes by being bought by another. And who's the buyer? Who bought us? 
But Jesus, Jesus, he bought us with the price of his life. He spilled his blood to pay our debt of sin. And now that makes us captives to Christ. He bought us. We've gone from one master, Satan, to another master, Jesus. From Satan and sin to Jesus, our refuge. But Jesus is no master like the devil. Paul wrote this in Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This word Abba was a special word. Once when Jesus was praying, the very last night he was on earth, he was praying and he was in agony and he cried out to Abba. He called Abba as he prayed. Now only a son or a daughter was supposed to use that name. To you, you might say, oh, hey, Brother Pat. You might say Pastor Pat. Some people call me Patster. But only my kids call me Dad. If, if, if I'm walking through uh, the foyer or wherever and, and you say, hey, Dad, I'm probably not going to answer you. I won't, I, I won't be turning. I'll be looking for your dad. See, because that's Abba. That's Abba. Abba's that special name that a child can say. So rejoice, rejoice. We are not captive in the slave quarters of Satan under sin, but we are with Jesus. We are better captives because we're not in the slave quarters. We're in the family. We've been adopted into the family and that's where we are captive, in the family, through Jesus. Through Jesus, you become a child of God. A child who can call on the Father just like Jesus did, crying, Abba, because you're a child of God. So get to know Jesus as your goal and your captivity and your rejoicing. Get to know him. Get to know nothing but Jesus. Just Jesus, Jesus only, Jesus always, Jesus evermore. Get to know him. Get to know him as your Kaddish, your sanctuary of salvation. Get to know him as your Shechem, the shoulder that bears your burdens. Get to know him as Hebron, your beloved friend. Get to know him as Bezer, your mighty fortress against sin, get to know him as Ramoth, the heights, the heights above Satan and sin, and get to know him as Golan, the one who takes you captive and fills you with rejoicing. He fills your soul with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I want to ask, is there anyone here who doesn't know that Jesus today? Because if you don't know him today, this is who he is and more. The Gospel of John said, I couldn't, we, we couldn't write enough about Jesus. It would fill innumerable books. It's just giving you a sliver of who Jesus is. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. So let, let, let's stand as we close this service. And I'm going to ask if you've never really you know, turned your eyes to Jesus, given him, him your life. Today you can do that. 
And you can know him in these six ways and more. This is not some exhaustive list because there's more amazing attributes of our Lord and our Savior if you don't know him as your Savior this morning. Come on out of your seat. I invite you just to, just to step forward. Give him your life. Give him your life today because he, he, he will be this refuge for you. And we have people who will pray with you. They'll, they'll just take you by the hand and by faith, by faith, pray with you to receive Jesus Christ today. Uh, praise God for those who've stepped forward, those who are uh, praying right now to, to receive Jesus. And maybe you've received him already. Maybe you know Jesus. Maybe uh, you, you've been dealing with a giant, though. Perhaps you've uh, been reminded there are giants in life, storms that sometimes can confront you, something that can tempt you. Let me just say, if you want some prayer today, you come down to these altars and you avail yourself to your refuge, your refuge from those storms. And someone will bond with you and pray with you to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, that that giant be slayed, that you find refuge and you find your place of safety. You don't have to rush out of here today. Let's sing that again. Your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face Things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strange in the light of his glory and grace thank you Lord thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for visiting us, God. Thank you that you've given us Jesus. Father, Abba, Father, thank you that you've given us Jesus, our salvation, our burden bearer and our friend, our fortress, the one who keeps us above the heights and the one who is our captivity and our rejoicing. Thank you for that, God, and I pray that you would bestow that truth upon every single heart here this morning. If any had come in here facing something they were uncertain about, God, I pray that their refuge would be found in Christ alone. As they leave this sanctuary, Lord, I pray that, and I ask it. And Lord, bless every single one with that contentment in their heart that Christ and Christ alone is their refuge. Thank you, Father. We ask these good graces in his name. 
In a powerful name of Jesus, amen.